should be able to share the screen right away. Yep, it's working. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna look right, at the charts so, today. What are we looking at? Yeah. Um, so I've got three charts ready for you. Um, I'll kind of give the context around what the data is, um, how it's structured, and then I'll hand it off to you and you can provide some some of your interest expertise. Sure. So let me share my screen. So this first one, I'm sure you saw this on Twitter. Um, yeah, I got, shared it. Got passed it. around quite a bit. It was an awesome chart. So where this started with is um, our Prime Minister Justin Trudeau posted back in 2015, um, before he took office, basically saying that he had a plan for um, affordable housing, right? And so this chart just represents the change in the benchmark home prices since September 2015. And the benchmark home prices, we discussed it a bit on a last video, but that is really not the median or average. That's where Korea, um, Canadian Real Estate Association, they're trying to look at comparable homes over time so we can get a more accurate idea of uh, home price trends. So this is that so, create an apples to apples comparison. Yeah, yeah. So here we're looking at the percentage change for all the regions that they track. Um, from September 2015 through June 2021. So, Dan, I guess what stood out to you on here? I think the the markets that led stood out a lot to me, and I don't know like how much of that came from the past, um, you know, twelve months. Let's say because like Woodstock, Tilsonburg. I mean, you could see some maybe some industry chasing. Um, agriculture, manufacturing, et cetera. Like as going all the way back to 2015, I guess what stood out to me is, is that I had this insatiable curiosity to see what this chart would look like from 2020 to today, right? And if you could draw that comparison to see whether like how much of this is driven by failures in them to deliver on their promises or how much of it was driven by maybe just this COVID boom in certain municipalities, right? Like Kawartha, Simcoe, uh, Southern Georgian Bay, a lot of these areas that were, were seeing change as a result of COVID policy, um, suburbanization of demand, staycationing, um, right? And, uh, and so I guess that, that would be one of the big ones. The other one is like sort of seeing and, and the curiosity as to why the areas that were underperforming were, do, were doing so, right? So Quebec City, I mean, kind of makes sense. It, again, if we're using that COVID, like the lack of growth that they've had as a result of COVID, like, because Quebec City really fascinates me because I think that one, from an investment perspective, if, if CRS scores are dropping on the immigration side of things, there's a high likelihood that we'll see a lot of French language immigrants. And so a place like Quebec could do really well. It's always been a really popular city for millennials and hospitality. Um, and then, I, I love Quebec City. Yeah, same. Like I, I, I re am really, really ambitious to do a lot of um, investing in Quebec City. I think it's probably one of the one of the greatest cities in, in the country from my perspective. Um, but I, although I might say that about every city that's not Toronto. Um, and then down even further below, we have all the prairie cities, right? Yeah. So Saskatoon, yeah. Um, yeah. Calgary, Edmonton, Regina. I think that one's kind of self-explanatory, right? Like the, the oil element um, and potentially Newfoundland and Labrador are kind of seeing the same thing. Um, right. Yeah. 
but I, yeah, I guess my curiosity is how much of this growth happened as a result of like, does this chart look the same as the one that shows how much these have all grown year over year from was it you guys who put out the one showing the growth from like, it was like, you know, core those was like 44% year over year or something. Or is that somebody else? Right. No. Yeah. We definitely put that together. Um, I could pull it up. So, uh, yeah. I'd be curious to see those two side by side. Like, I don't know if you, we can maybe, if you want to switch, switch off of the share screen or something, if it's simpler for you, but that would be cool. Yeah. Very interesting to see, just to see how, how much of that growth can be attributed to the last Year, yeah. year last year over year if it if it if the hierarchy looks the same uh um, right yeah i mean that's that's really, what stood out to you i guess is is I'm, I'm curious yeah well um if we look at the very top we're seeing i think it was about 180 percent growth in uh what stockinger saw right and so like as we get down to the middle say like ottawa um it doesn't look so bad but really that's 91 percent in since september 2015 right yeah. So even like down in this region, that's still really significant growth. Um, and the fact that we've seen that level, I mean, even Quebec City, it's about 30% there, 25, 30%. Right. That, right. that really changes um, how much people can buy and afford, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, it's- Yeah, it's interesting too, because if you look at the hierarchy, like and what, you're what you're saying sort of is stuck in the middle there. Are, I mean, yeah, a lot of them are areas that are, centrally located and proximate to uh, employment, et cetera. But that tells me like that a lot of these areas up top are areas that were, were um, entry-level markets, right? The places where we really can't afford to see that kind of growth. And and this is sort of the story that I've been trying to tell about the market, because I think like, you, you know, and you and I being millennials, having that, that qualitative edge that directs us to where we want to look, what stories we want to tell with data, um, and to me, this, a big part of the story is the, the growth is happening where we can't afford for it to happen, which is an entry level product or the extreme growth is happening in those markets. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, and marginalizing out people who, you know, are looking just for their first chance to get into the housing market. Yeah. And so, um, this chart, like all it is, is really, it's really just data, right? Um, I mean, these are kind of the facts. Mm -hmm. This is how much has changed since September 2015. Um, I've seen it being used a lot in political arguments since I posted it. And um, so I, I guess from your perspective, would you say this is kind of a failure on municipal, provincial, federal government that this has happened? Yeah, I mean, I think that I actually liked, you know, seeing the National Post talking about like, you know, being one of the few to really acknowledge the problem here. I, I think it's a failure at all levels. Like the macro view is bad, right? But like, it, it, maybe it has to be where it is. Like we, I think it was either go into a great depression or, you know, print money, you know, uh, basically do unlimited QE and do that QE through, you know, as we described in the last episode, um, putting money in the hands of, of chartered banks who lend it out to consumers. That, that macro set and it's not not really changing you know we'll see some scaling back but the alternative was going to probably a great depression and like you know we didn't have good economic fundamentals coming into this thing but i think that as things trickle down it's like yeah like why are we you know why are we why does it take so much bureaucracy and so much uh red tape so much capital so much tax to develop a home like 
you know, I don't see like people contributing to these discussions, like at a municipal level, right? It's easy for the municipalities to, to say developers are being greedy or, every, you know, people want to villainize real estate agents. I'm like, I agree. Like nobody, like I'm, as you can see in that article that I was, that I was just in, I'm the first to line up to, to say, yeah, if somebody's doing something that's, that's negatively impacting housing affordability, I'll call it out. But when you have like the hypocrisy that you see at the government level where municipalities are saying, yeah, housing's not affordable, but then they'll happily go and increase their development charges so that they can get their piece of the pie too. Right. It's the, like, from my perspective, that's just hypocritical. And I think that everybody's doing it in, in the supply chain of housing. And the problem is that one person points the finger at the next person. And then, you know, they point the finger at the next person. And all of a sudden this just becomes a circle of people pointing the fingers at one another. And it just goes around and around and around. It's this feedback loop that ultimately doesn't solve the problem. And, and I think another big point is um, the people who are electing, like successful in electing, um, you know, politicians, they should be the ones who are most uh, trying to hold them accountable, right? Right. So um, I think like if you like if you voted for you know the liberal government at a federal level, um, like you have to be able to try and hold them accountable and not really shy away from stats like this. Right. Um, otherwise, we're just not going to see progress. Yeah. So I don't really looking at it from political point of view, like whether you voted for them or, or didn't. Um, it kind of doesn't matter. The fact is, like, this is where home prices are. Right. Um, and they just need to be able to answer for it, whoever's in government. Yeah, I, I think we do need some accountability. And I think that, like, you know, I've actually heard some people suggesting that um, the government is actually rushing to get this election done because they understand that policy needs to be implemented and that and that they're that, that they're going to do it once they you know assuming it's the liberal government who gets reelected but that's going to be the primary thing and but nobody's going to run on housing in this country and the, and the reality and the reason for that is because homeowners still have the vote right like you know 70 something percent of boomers own homes and so you know nobody's going to say yeah i'm going to absolutely destroy house prices like it would be political suicide right so right. I think that that's, that's where I think that the, like housing has been the conversation in this country for so long. Like it's, we're obsessive about it. It's all we talk about when it, when it's on a bull run, people love, you know, everywhere you go, all you hear is people talking about house prices, but the, the, the part that, that just sort of started coming to the light from my perspective is that people are not they're not having the conversation like it's entertainment anymore. Like this is like depressing shit. Right. And, and, and it seems like almost unanimous that that's the case because people are starting to, and I think that there's a real, some real economic uh, mortality being sensed here. I think that people are, 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 are facing, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more financial distress and we're starting to see this K-shaped recovery take shape. And, and, you know, a lot of parents are thinking, shit, my kids, I'm going to be taking care of my kid forever. They're going to be living with me or I'm going to be, you know, throwing them an extra couple hundred bucks for rent a month or whatever. Like, you know, right. so it's, you start to feel the ripple effect come through the, the economy. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell me about this one. Yeah. So this is kind of that chart you're asking for with um, the year over year change, right? Right. So on the bottom here, we're seeing year over year change. So comparing June, 2021 to June, 2020. Right. And on the left, on the Y axis here, um, we're yeah. looking at the benchmark. Price. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that's, some of these, that's mm -hmm. fucking powerful, man. Like 
it and it says sort of what we had just mentioned right like it is it is i mean there isn't a single one in these areas that i would call a a non-entry level market probably like what where would it start where i would cut it off maybe montreal like Mm -hmm. and it's yeah i mean yeah like what's interesting about this is we can kind of see yeah it's all that middle area which has seen the most growth right the higher end high end ones they still grew by 15 to 25 percent but it's really all those like middle um priced cities that saw just massive growth um bancroft seeing 65 percent in a single year um Tilsonberg, I think, was also at the top of that first chart we looked at. And again, yeah. that's grown over 50% in, yeah. in one year, I think. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's not that's not something anyone can plan for. Um, and that could really, you know, change um, young people's plans for their lives, really. Like if you think, okay, I can work for five years, save, buy a home. Um, really, what's happened in the past year, that can just completely throw that off. Right. For sure. Like I, 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 the amount of capitulation that I've seen in the market is like, it's, it's literally this, this partisan shift that you're seeing that like, and this is where I always talk about, like, it's, it's, we're heading to what I would call a European housing model where people just see houses as houses. And like, I actually think that a part of that is healthy for Canadians. Like we need to see houses that way. Because like the amount of people who call it have been, have, you know, historically been calling it an investment when it's your principal residence and actually a liability is not a good thing, right? Like I don't, and that's, that to me perpetuates this unhealthy relationship with housing. It should, yeah. It's okay to call it a savings vehicle and accept that there's a return associated with putting your money away, right? But calling it an investment when it's like legitimately from an accounting perspective, a liability is it, it's, we've broke, for me, that's, that's the line in which we've broken our relationship with housing. And so- right maybe now Canadians talking about housing as a house, right. And thinking about things like renting, like I literally did an entire podcast series on with, with Amanda Marino on basically on capitulating as a, as a a young person, as a millennial saying, shit, I'm probably not going to own a house or I'm not going to be able, I'm not gonna be able to buy the principal residence that I want. So I can maybe go rent in an urban area at a decent price. Then I'll go and invest my capital elsewhere you know, in maybe a Quebec city or something where I can get a good yield and I can still have that, a, a real investment relationship with housing. So I, I don't know for me, but it, the, I think the qualitative discussion is starting now within our generation. Yeah, what do you think? absolutely. I, I think you're right on it. Um, yeah. And just more and more people are getting involved in conversation and it's just good to see It's slow, but yeah, you know, people who weren't paying attention three years ago are all of a sudden paying attention now. So yeah. I think I think that's great. Yeah, and like I think like you know it's kind of like Gen Z has entered the chat too, right? It's like, and that's yeah, fun. They won't stand for it. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, you got you got younger kids who you know early. Like, I remember when I was in my early twenties, like I had a lot less to lose, right? So like I, there was shit that I was willing to say that. I wouldn't today. Right. And so, but that's important. Like we need those voices to be contributing to this conversation. Yeah. All right. So, um, third graph here, and then we'll have one more after this. So this one, um, what we're looking at is months of inventory. Uh, maybe you can provide a bit more context on what that is, sure. but we're looking at Ontario, um, from 1990 through 2021. 
And what each line represents is a different city within Ontario tracked by Korea. Okay. So we can see, you know, back to 1990, um, the months of inventory was, you know, it's somewhere between five months to 20 months for most cities. In 2021, this is a situation like we've never seen before, right? Where every single city in Ontario is right, far sorry, below uh, three months of inventory, some even like below one. So maybe if you want to start going through uh, months of inventory, then provide your thoughts on this. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for viewers who are sort of just getting into like the metric side of things, month of, months of inventory is an absorption met metric. And so absorption is very easy, easy to think about as like a sponge. How long does it take for the population or the, buy the number of buyers in the market to absorb the existing supply? The higher that this is, the more the higher that months of inventory is, the more favorable a market is to purchasers because there's more inventory, you can shop around, you have more control over setting the prices. So what we started to see as a result of, of COVID was some shifts in the dynamics because there were like genuine reasons, like as an example, a seller assumes more risk in the market during COVID because they have people coming through their house that they don't know. They don't know if these people are wearing masks unless they are like illegally surveilling them, which is very common, honestly. Um, you know, they don't know if people are licking light switches or whatever, right? Like, it, like realistically. So that kind of tightened supply. And, and that was what caused, I think, the first little bit before the macro really showed up in interest rates started getting crammed into the ground. But the reality is, and what you can see on this chart, which I think is really important, is this the supply tightness, like you can see it crashing into 2017. And I think a big point of, of, of this is that we have so much absorption. There's so much demand in the market, right? There's so many people looking for homes and there's people who, who have the assets that have seen good historic returns that don't want to get rid of them. And the reality is in a lot of cases, they can't because they have nowhere to go to because they're facing the same problem here, which is excess demand, too much competition. And to me, this is all a function of, the, the supply side problem, right? And, and everybody talks about this like as if this problem can't be solved by a supply side solution. And I would agree. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that our government is capable, honestly, of creating a supply side solution that is meaningful enough. Like not that I don't think it could be solved. Like you could just build uh, millions of homes. Like it, it's not that hard. China does it regularly. Like they literally built ghost cities. We could do it here. Our right. government couldn't we don't have we we don't have a government who's capable of doing that so then we talk but also the willpower right i mean they, they know doing that will lower home prices right and yeah and I, I guess right and like and and like you've actually like seen the conversation in in, in mps and stuff talking about how canada is like this bastion for foreign investment and it's like well yeah yeah i mean Great, great. Like, I don't know, go read Willful Blindness and tell me that this is still a good thing, right? Like, uh, you know, you hear about these, and like, I see it all the time. I was just talking about it on Twitter the other day, like, you know, and I maybe won't use like an ex example too close to home, but like there's, I've seen deals where people are just like, they'll buy something, they'll pump so much money into it cash because contractors love getting paid cash. They're getting rid of all these, you know, greenbacks in bags, and then they flip the property out and, and get all that. Like, this is real. It's not like, and it's like, I'm not even like, I don't even like trying to be like a, a vigilante by like pointing it out. Like, it's like, it exists. It's there in plain sight. And and right. the, the, the more that we, like, the, whether or not it's okay, isn't like 
up to to us individually or the, or like the government to to solve it's like the reality is that it if it if it doesn't stop or if it keeps happening then this isn't going to end it doesn't even need to be moralized it's just like a cause and effect relationship anyway so to, to get back to the chart like i guess one last question for you on this chart yeah. do, do you see any possibility of um homes becoming more affordable while we still have this low level of inventory yes like well, for me well i mean it's it's tough to say because so this, this level of inventory yes this this not by this metric though so like if you had current inventory let's say there's a thousand listings on the market right and there's let's say there's two thousand buyers right so you have excess demand of a hundred percent right if you could if you decrease demand to a thousand right you decrease demand right. by fifty percent cut it in half then yeah all of a sudden all of those buyers go out and buy homes and they get to negotiate fair deals and whatever assuming that there's a match for everyone you know like that right. that that yeah that demand you could start by stifling the demand side fix the problem you could also do the same thing if they're on the supply side which we were just discussing but that's like that doesn't that doesn't answer your question so but yes if you were to shut off the demand side but the the, the challenge with that with that is that there's like one of two ways you could do that crank up the interest rate which we know is going to shut off the f up prices or shut down foreign investment or foreign demand, right? I mean, the reality, or, or there's a other, maybe a little bit more nuanced ones shut down in and like second home investment, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, very, very difficult policies to, to implement. Um, and the, the effects would be very immediate, I think. Right. Um, I mean, you saw it in 2017 with the, with the NRST in, in Ontario, you saw it in 2016 with, I can't remember what their tax is called, but so NRST is non-resident speculation tax in Ontario. Uh, I mean, when, and so in, in those areas that, that like in 2017, and you can actually see like it starting in 2017 on this chart where supply started to ramp up until about what, 2019 and, and well, it's, yeah, like so that was a little a little increase and there was no buyers like there was because a lot of the foreign own, foreign investment they they just lost their their buying power was just decreased by 15% from the tax and so this caused house prices in New York region to go from like like there was i think new market was like 34% decline aurora was like high 30s mid to high 30s like so you know i mean we have we have a comp on what that type of policy does to house prices Nobody's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go do that. If they know that 70% of their voters are homeowners as Gen Z starts to show up more at the polls. Like I I've been saying very, very publicly that the next election will be overrun by a populist who will get the Gen Z vote. And it's all going to be about housing and the past government marginalizing them away. Yeah, could be like, this is going to actually blow your mind completely off it's tangential, but the amount of people who approach me to buy massive droves of land and start tiny home communes is like, it would blow your mind. Really? Wow. Yeah. I've not heard that one. We'll have to do a story at some point. Regularly. Like there's a a group who's actually likely going to do it without permits and make a documentary about it. Oh, wow. That's going to be out your way actually. All right. Let's, let's move on to the last chart here. All right, so this one's a little different. Uh, you can see my screen, right? Yeah. Okay. 
So what we did here is we basically searched all um, TREB listings for where the description had various keywords. In this case, we're looking at every description that has the word office in it. Yeah. Um, and so we're looking at from 20, January 2019 through August 2021. Um, and so, you know, the average over time was 6.9%. Um, down in um, January 2019, it was more around 5%. And we're seeing just, you know, whenever COVID hits, just a massive uptick all the way to 10% at one time. Yeah. Since then, it's been dropping off a bit. Um, so, I mean, we know realistically an office could be any room, right? Any spare room in a, in a home. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be an office. You think this is just a matter of how agents are listing um, when they list um, list a property? Or is this yeah. an actual trend yeah. in the market? Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say that, like, people are... So did you, I guess the question comes down to like actually the actual data science of it. What was your methodology for searching office? Like, was it just in the description or was it in, or it, was it in the rooms as well? This is just in the description. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, the description is where is more often where you would use words that you're almost like trying to sell something. Right. So this is agents right. or the, you know, the people responsible for marketing property being attentive to a, tr a trend, which is that more and more people are demanding home offices as a result of work from home, right? And so, and the fact that actually, what interests me the most about this chart is the, the percentage decline in over the holiday, like, cause you do see a, a relative decline over the holidays period. But so I, I don't know if like those are more aggressively marketed properties. Like I'm trying to figure out where the correlation is here. A more aggressive marketer and agent would likely pull the listing during, the holidays and put it back up in January, February, and you start to see it trend up again. But what interests me as well is it, this almost reads from my perspective a little bit like it's a consumer sentiment barometer of what exactly. of people of how people are thinking about the return to the workplace, right? And so that seeing it trend up right now is a little bit interesting to me. What do you? Yes, yeah. yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, there's a story here, no matter what, whether this yeah. is actually. Um, you know, more homes being sold with offices or like you yeah. said, consumer sentiment. Um, I think it's probably the latter. And yeah, that uptick that we're starting to see in August is kind of, you know, maybe we're onto something, you know, predicting um, COVID cases or something. Well, yeah, that or like they're, they're you know, they're, I think it, again, like assuming, okay, the person who make let's see who makes the decision to put in the word home office, right? The agent right. through their client. And so agents are saying, oh, you know, I'm seeing more and more people want home offices again, right? Because people are, I'm sensing that buyers are, are not optimistic about the return to the workplace again already in August, yes. right? And so all of a sudden, if the more that you start seeing that, to me, the more it indicates that consumers are demanding a home office, which indicates to me that can, more and more consumers are reluctant or 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 um, discouraged about the reopening of the workforce, right? And I mean, this is the story right. that you're hearing like crazy across the US right now, because everybody was just like, they all had the September reopening plan and now it's all just been thrown in the trash because of Delta and whatever, right? Yeah. Like New York well, awesome. was supposed to be like, literally they were gonna open and now they're just like done. Yeah, same thing here in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, well, cool, so we went through four uh, pretty wide variety of charts here. Yeah, Hopefully everyone yeah. found that interesting. Yeah. Um, if you guys have different ideas on keywords that you want to see the trends for, just like this home office um, chart, let us know and we'll put something together.
Yeah, that's what I was going to say is maybe it would be worth um, one, definitely posting these charts when we release like like uh, in the Twitter thread when we release the, the episode. And then also, um, and maybe I'll put or we could post them on. I don't know if you guys are going to use the Instagram channel, but like on Instagram as a gallery for people to swipe through so that we can say that those are the ones referenced if people are just listening to the audio. Um, yeah. And then the other was, yeah, like talking about what what we might see see value in because i know you were working on that flip uh chart as well right is that how's that coming along tough um is this is ready uh is it? so yeah we basically put together it was probably the first database of um flips in the gta nice. and um so right now we've done a lot of work to gather gather that data uh, make sure it's all working properly and now dan and i are probably going to chat offline about what are the insights we can grab from that and you know we'll probably talk about that in one of these future episodes i feel like that might actually deserve like an entire episode but yeah i'm, I'm interested to see yeah. i'm interested to see like we could almost do one on a whole bunch of different flip metrics so we could talk a little bit more about although like i, I have no issue being a little bit more public about the, the science of it but um you know a lot of like um pinpointing ones where there's like massive upside as well as like in the same way you search for the word office in the description would be searching for like the word contractors, right? Because you might also see, I'm assuming you're just doing same address sales. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, you could uh, see also if it's like complete, like I guess compartmentalizing which ones have been completely torn down, right? As well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put together something interesting. Cool, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay. I'll uh, call it up on the recording here.